Welcome to the I Dry Needle to the Point podcast. I'm your host, Paul Kaloran, and today we invite TK Mosier to talk physical therapy, dry needling, and combat sports. Welcome back, folks. This is the I Dry Needle to the Point podcast. I'm your host, Paul Kaloran. Uh, and I guess this is episode two. We're kind of kicking off our summer schedule. We're going to have eight straight weeks, bringing on some awesome new uh, guests or panelists. And obviously, I dry needle to the point. We're going we're gonna to see how dry needling is being used in, in different settings, different specialties with uh, uh, different patient populations. And it seems like we're kicking off on a sport kick because uh, last week, if you tuned in, we had uh, Nick Thurlow of Next Era DPT um, talking Major League Baseball and how he uses needling. Today, we're jumping inside of the octagon or the cage. And I really wanted to kick off this episode with like the Bruce Buffer, like, it's time, but I didn't want to embarrass myself. Um, but combat sports is honestly one of the largest, fastest growing uh, sports not just in the US, but worldwide. Everything obviously from the UFC and MMA to jujitsu and Muay Thai. And obviously when you have a boom in, uh, I guess, sporting interest in training, the rehab and the sports medicine side uh, pretty directly parallels that. So we're seeing more specialists. And our guest today is not only a specialist, she's a PT. Again, we're gonna see how she uses needling. So she's needling certified. She actually also uses a BFR through Owens Recovery. So she's a specialized clinician, but she herself is actually an amateur athlete in Muay Thai, and she specializes in uh, these combat athletes in, in the rehab aspect. So without further ado, I'll introduce uh, full name Christina Mosier. But again, if I did the, the Bruce Buffer, like Christina TK Mosher, uh, <laughs> and she is a PT DPT. Uh, if you're on Instagram, she has an awesome page, uh, an awesome practice, and that is at TKO underscore DPT, uh, and that is the name of her practice, TKO Physical Therapy. But TK, thanks for uh, joining us. Thanks for taking some time away from the clinic to jump on with us today. Thank you. Um, and I jump right in, the easiest question, but I kind of like to hear everyone's story. First of all, um, what got you into PT? What's kind of your PT birth story? <laughs> Okay, so um, I went to Boston University for undergrad and grad school, um, and I actually started in uh, pre-med, but when I, once I got into college, I was like, I don't know if I want to be a doctor, like an ortho, I had planned to be a, like an orthopedic surgeon, and I was like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore, but I had taken so many science classes that I was not sure where else to go. So I switched to, uh, this is an undergrad, so I switched to human physiology for probably like half a second. <laughs> and I was walking through um, Sargent College, which is the rehab uh, school in, at Boston University, and happened to see a pamphlet for the DPT program. And I was like, huh, this is cool. I, I had just started getting serious in uh, Taekwondo, actually. And so I was like, maybe I can like somehow, you know, get into something that's a little bit more active. So without even really knowing what physical therapy was, because uh, I didn't um, play sports growing up. So I wasn't really injured. So I literally never even knew what a physical therapist was until that moment. <laughs> I was like, okay, let's try this. Um, and, you know, I did the shadowing that's usually required before you get into the program. And luckily I like knew that this was like a very cool profession that I wanted to pursue. 
So went through, graduated, <laughs> um, even did my practicum project on injury prevention for adult Taekwondo practitioners. And um, from that point, I was working at a small clinic uh, in Boston for like two and a half years, maybe. And after probably half a year, I was a little bit uninspired. <laughs> I didn't love what I was doing. I was overworked. Um, and it became, I didn't want physical therapy to be just a nine to five job. I wanted it to be like something that I'm passionate about. And I tried to like work with the, the, the clinic that I was at to maybe start pursuing more combat athletes, but they just weren't accommodating enough. And I actually, in the summer of 2017, went to the next APTA conference. And I listened to a few of the PTs there and some were like uh, worked with the NFL, but there were some that worked with combat athletes and also tactical athletes, which is like police, military, so on. And was suddenly super inspired. I was like, oh, there's actually like people who are like in this industry. Um, there's clearly like room for it. So I was like, okay, here we go. So like, I kind of like, I'm kind of like headstrong sometimes. I was like, I'm gonna go into the, uh, I'm gonna try to get my SDS. So, and then uh, I tried to get uh, um, shadowing hours and kind of do pro bono PT at the gym that I had just joined, which is Sit Yotong in uh, Boston. It's uh, counted as one of the best uh, Muay Thai gyms. Um, so I started there and I was really very lucky to start working right away with like some high level athletes. Uh, at the time, Kayla Harrison was there. She's a judoka um two-time gold medalist in the olympics uh there's a few up-and-coming ufc fighters already there and um so i was very fortunate and once i saw that there was it was almost like a needs assessment <laughs> a live needs assessment and then i realized there was actually a market and so at the end of 2017 i i quit my job uh, <laughs> i opened my own practice and just hoped for the best <laughs> and the rest is history <laughs> Man, that's an awesome story. First of all, I also was considering pre-med. Um, and I guess I'll say it's whatever. I was more inspired by the alternative aspects or the non-pharmaceutical, non-surgical side of healthcare. But the truth is I was probably just scared of med school and the, yeah. the medical exam. But but I agree with, uh, I actually had a similar path going through undergrad. And even what you just described, it's it's unfortunate to say there's probably a lot of PTs nodding along with you. You know, you enter the profession, uh, passionate, hungry of this vision, but it, it seems like, and it was also my first exposure, uh, the, just the, you just get uninspired. A lot of us lose kind of the, the drive and the passion um, and not to call out specific treatment models, but it's just, it's tough uh, when you're not working in where you eventually found yourself. Like it's, it's what you love to do. It's populations you love to work with. And it's really setting up treatment models on your terms, which is what you've done with your practice. So I think that could honestly be a completely different conversation of just the state of PT, the insurance-based model versus whatever private pay or just working in more specialized populations. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, a lot of PTs uh, are, that just resonated with a lot of them out there. Yeah. Um, so to, to add our little dry needling infusion, um, obviously we graduate, most of us practiced for a certain amount of time without needling. So we'll talk more about the specific demands of kind of combat athletes in a second, but how long have you been needling? What was kind of your, ex your initial exposure to needling and how did your practice change once you, once you started needling? Yeah. So 
dry needling was the first like real certification that I did out of PT school. And I had first heard about it in PT school, but um, at BU, they didn't really educate us on that particular modality. So I was kind of like, I kind of forgot about it for a little bit. And then as I was thinking about getting more in, into uh, working with athletes, I was like, how can I differentiate myself? And one of my uh, peers at the time was like, oh, I'm doing this like dry needling thing. I was like, maybe I'll do it too. Um, Cause like uh, I was reading about a lot of athletes like getting into it. So I, I went to, uh, I was certified through Kineticore and that was in March of 2017. So it was actually right before <laughs> I uh, started TKO. Okay. And honestly, I'm probably the most famous for my needles. Like the needling is probably like, Sometimes people forget that I'm, I'm a physical therapist. They're just like, the needles, the needles. <laughs> I hear about the needles. So like, it's actually <laughs> like a, a great, um, a great tool for me. Yeah, I know how that goes. And it's, it's almost like on a level one course, people are excited. I mean, at this point, they see other clinicians in their, in their clinic using it. And it's like, yeah, I'm here because I saw it work and I, I want to be certified. But it's tough when you're kind of the first to do it or you do it quickly in your practice. Cause just like you said, you almost aren't viewed as a physical therapist or, or whatever you are, a chiropractor, athletic trainer. It's like, you're, you're the needle guy or you're the needle girl. And that's kind of what you become known for. Um, and not that I'm saying that's how it should be. It's just, that's how it works sometimes. <laughs> um, and last, how long question, how long have you been, competing yourself or not even competing but how long have you been training uh you do muay thai mm -hmm. so i actually started in traditional martial arts um when i was 15 i was traveling regularly to south korea to see my grandparents and i was like while i'm here in the summer maybe i'll try something out so i started in a martial art martial art called tukong musu and it says kind of a hybrid new martial art that the special forces used there. And after like a couple of years, I got my first degree black belt. And so when I came back to the States that after that summer, I was like, well, you know, they don't teach this here, but maybe I should, you know, keep in, you know, my uh, martial arts skills up. So that's, I switched to Taekwondo. Um, I really got into it once I came to Boston and started to compete at, in the color belt division and like fell in love with competition. Like I literally, cause I hadn't done sports. I like, didn't know if I was going to like that, but fell in love with it. Um, however, in PT school, I tore my TFCC during practice actually. And it became so bad that I could barely lift limbs, like barely lift a leg and we were doing lower extremity. So I just had to give up competition. I, I decided to give up comp competing for the remainder of my schooling just so I could get through PT school. Cause I was like, there's no way I'm gonna like delay and redo a semester. <laughs> um, yeah, um, sorry, I lost my train of thought. Oh, I mean, it's uh, basically you answered the question which is you've been doing it since you're 15 and actually you're getting into my, to my next question. Um, combat sports is obviously a very unique athletic population like the physical demands, like even the physical trauma the blunt trauma but even when we say combat sports underneath that umbrella uh, you've already started touching on all of the different subcategories you have jujitsu you have uh your striking like even grappling versus striking and everything mm -hmm. that fits under those umbrellas is very unique uh, if we're talking clientele or athlete populations so even before uh we get into like how to treat them what do you see uh, as unique to that population, but what are some of the more 
common injuries with that population that uh, probably someone in just your general outpatient orthopedic clinic wouldn't see? So with MMA, it's, you get like, honestly, everything. (laughs) Because the the way training is for MMA, um, you just have to do so much of it. Because like you said, it's, it's not just MMA, it's jujitsu, it's wrestling, it's boxing, it's Muay Thai. Um, and like anything else in between that people are learning. And so, you know, there, there's a lot of joint injuries in, in uh, jujitsu. It's very hard on the fingers, <laughs> very hard on the wrist. Um, actually, you know, a lot of neck pain, um, low back pain, especially with jujitsu. And then I'll see the like, you know, typical elbow sprains from the arm bars and things like that. Um, but most of my jujitsu guys come to me for like neck pain, whereas in Muay Thai or, um, my strikers, boxers, their shoulders tend to get very tight because it's so fighting in general, so anterior chain heavy. And they tend, because they're working out so much, they tend not to balance out, um, you know, posterior anterior. So they get this kind of kyphotic, like rolled in position. It causes a lot of um, pain along the biceps tendon, the anterior deltoid um, and where the pec major kind of come together. Um, that's a super common area that, that the fighters have a problem with. So I do a lot of needling for shoulders, um, but also, also neck because, and low back because again, very anterior chain heavy. That makes sense. And I mean, I was fully prepared for you to say everything because I mean, um, I'm a viewer. I love watching UFC. I honestly have not seen many athletes uh, locally, um, a local jujitsu gym. I'd seen a handful of athletes and I immediately knew partially because I had never uh, even recreationally trained jujitsu. I immediately knew that I was looking at a different animal, so to speak, a different patient population. I mean, they spend a lot of time on their back. Like you said, it's very taxing on the spine. I mean, not even just the, the grabs and submissions, but just the training, the, the amount, the volume and the, the strain, physical strain you put on the spine. So neck and low back sound like go-to treatment spots for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I ask, not even necessarily like, where do you put needles? Uh, mm-hmm. Cause it sounds like anywhere. But if I say, how do you use dry needling? Meaning, are you typically just treating pain, injury, tightness? Do you use it for recovery? Um, just how in general are you using needling with, with your clientele? Um, great question. Um, <laughs> primarily, I would say pain relief um, because they usually, you know, guys don't want to, they, they're like, I'm fine, I'm fine. Let's just push through it. <laughs> so um, they usually come to me when they're like really hurting instead of like sooner. It's something that I keep trying to uh, improve upon and it, and it has over the years, but still they're very reluctant to come in right away. Um, so usually they're looking for something. They're like, what can I do to get back to practice right away? And the dry kneeling has been very useful in like getting rid of these like little pains that they're coming from the trigger points or from the spasming pulling on one side of the joint versus the other uh oftentimes the because the posterior side is a little bit weaker i get a lot of posterior cuff spasming um and things like that but um yeah i I would say recovery is probably the next best but only the people who've already been needled will come to me for recovery dry needling because a lot of the people are still very nervous about it 
Um, but they trust me enough that when they come to me and I say, look, I know you don't like the needling, but I think that this will help us move through it a little bit faster so we can get to the exercises. They usually let me do it. <laughs> yeah. And that's probably uh, consistent across all, not even sporting populations, patient populations is, um, you're not going to start, most clients aren't going to be open to using it just for general recovery until they've experienced the benefits uh, in other aspects, whether it's proving performance or, or pain relief, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and I guess similar question, but I guess more specific, I assume you've worked with some of these because you worked with uh, nationally and internationally competitive, like professional combat athletes mm -hmm. and like kind of through the course of a camp, like preparing for a big fight um, what does your timeline look like? Meaning, is it just a consistent needling schedule? Do you do more or less at certain kind of micro cycles of that training camp? Yeah. So in camp, because you're ramping up a lot, <laughs> intensity and hours. Um, I usually, the, I usually don't needle people more than once a week because I want them to give the muscles a chance to like improve activation, do the exercises and get, get the mm. long-term benefits. Um, but towards the end, so, cause you know, as you get further into the camp and closer to the fight, your body is like worn down, worn down, worn down. So sometimes I'll do it twice a week needling towards the end, but my general rule of thumb, and this is just, I didn't read this anywhere. It's just from my own experience with dry needling and then anecdotally seeing the fighters. Um, I usually don't needle people uh, if it's sooner than two days out of the fight, because I don't want the soreness from the needling to even to affect their movement or even put doubt in their mind. Cause yeah. if something's still hurting, it's like, they're thinking about it. They're like, Oh no. So like, I, I don't do the needling to like, if it's more than, uh, less than two days out. That makes sense. And again, that's probably consistent with other sporting populations. Just like you said, uh, the mental aspect. I mean, I can't even imagine the mental preparation aside from the physical, the mental preparation that goes into a fight or a big fight. I mean, if you're fighting for titles or working your way up through a weight class, that's, uh, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, give us a snapshot of what a treatment session looks like for you. Are you doing it right there in the gym? Um, do athletes come to you right after training or is it a day when they're not training? What's a, a session look like for you and your athletes? A typical session is usually at the at the gym that they're training at. Um, like right now, I just I just finished working with a, a, a pro fighter here at Lausanne's MMA. <laughs> um, so I'm in one of the rooms at that gym. But um, I usually travel to the gym. Uh, it's usually after practice, um, especially for doing needling. I like to do the needling after their workout. Um, we usually start with exercises then do any manual needling, then manual, and then any kind of activation exercises that I think might be necessary after that. Um, they usually come, they usually don't come to, to like me. I usually still just go to them. And then occasionally I'll see people at their homes. And usually that's for, I, honestly, I, I reserve Sundays. I work on Sundays and that's for my national level, international level fighters that that takes Sunday off <laughs> and uh, they just want to see me on their day off. So um, usually those on the weekend, I end up going to their houses, but usually it's in the gym. Okay. 
sounds sweaty <laughs> right, right after training in the gym <laughs> yeah I am um, everyone's always like TA I'm so sorry to be so sweaty getting on the table I'm like I you know cap side it up and like everyone is sweaty it's no big deal <laughs> yeah I'm sure you're used to it by now yeah. uh you mentioned exercise and I love I love that flow kind of the the movement prep the the needling the manual and then some sort of reinforcement or corrective mm-hmm. um if you uh Give us one or two specific exercise or kind of corrective strategies that you like to use immediately after needling or, or even before, but specific for this population, specifically for before or after needling, what's kind of a corrective strategy you like? So a lot of it is like, nothing is, I would say nothing that I do, I don't feel like is profound. Um, after needling, it's, it's, I usually go to the very simple activation potentiation exercises. Um, and so uh, for example, after, let's say, dry needling the upper traps um, and the, some of the rotator cuff muscles after that, one of my favorite things to do, especially with grapplers, but with my strikers as well, is to do um, the prone eye. I, I go I to T and sometimes I to Y, but where they're having to engage the scapula and then maintain activation, it's actually very hard for a lot of them. And um, usually if they keep up with it, they feel really good. But so that's one of my favorites to go to because it's hard. So it's a little bit hard, you know, the fighters like it. because they're like, oh, I'm doing something. (laughs) And uh, I'll also use the iron neck. Um, And after needling, if we use the iron neck, it's super like it's isometric holes or like gentle rotations, nothing, nothing crazy. I like that. Um, And I actually do similar. It's like uh, immediately after needling, I I call it a reinforcement exercise and I'll even explain to them, this isn't supposed to give you big, strong muscles. It's just like recruitment, like very isolated, specific, like turn the light switch on and off. Um, And I'm the same, like I don't, again, kind of in the model where they, they have their PT that takes their insurance. They come to me with their list of home exercises. And I I just say like, I don't need to reinvent the, the mini band sidestep. Like you can keep doing that. It should feel different after needling. Like it's a great thing to do immediately after in that little window of change, window of opportunity. But um, I love all the fancy exercises and I steal some from Instagram, from from other uh, kind of more protocol-based uh, like Absolutely. algorithmic, like the SFMA and all that kind of stuff. But But I agree. And I've actually never used the iron neck, so. I, like I, that. Really love <laughs> I love it. That's and awesome. Too. I mean, they hate wearing it, but yeah. That's good to know. Cause I mean, NFL guys pretty soon, as soon as they start wearing their helmets, putting on pads, I mean, that initial week or two of neck straining soreness just from, from not wearing a helmet for so long uh, is common. So I'll have yeah. to look in, look into that. Well, we are attempting to keep this short. So I'll throw you one more question, I guess. And it's pretty open-ended, but um, give us a success story. I mean, it doesn't have to be a big name athlete or it could be like, are you, I assume your needling has helped win multiple belts, multiple competitions. Um, but give us one just success story where kind of needling helped an athlete, maybe where another strategy or treatment wouldn't have. So I'll give you an example that happened super recently. <laughs> um, a couple weeks ago, actually. So we have, a, and he's, he was okay with me using this story. Um, so it's the Muay Thai champion for Lion Fight. Uh, his name is Steve Walker. And he had this fight coming up. 
it was a fight that was organized because somebody on the internet was like, oh, he should fight this guy. So it's kind of a big deal. <laughs> he could have, he very winnable. Anyway, <laughs> um, so he's the champion, though. he's the cruiserweight champ. He's defended it multiple times. Anyway, so like he, he it's fight week. It's Monday. He fights on Friday. I get a call from his coach. <laughs> Monday's my day off. So I was literally about to go hiking. I get Always a call happens. <laughs> also his coach um, being like, hey, so um, Steve just called me. He said he hurt his hamstring. Um, is there any way you can see him today? I was like, I'll be there in 10, 15 minutes. <laughs> Drove over there, found him. He Honestly, I was not co- confident that he could fight at the end of the week, the way he was moving. And, you know, hamstrings can be very painful, even if they're not injured that much. But so I was like, there's a small chance. And I told him, that I was like, there's a small chance that this is no big deal. It's just a crazy spasming because he had had tendonitis in, in the distal hamstring for a while, actually never told me <laughs> would run and then limp after three miles. Thought that was normal. <laughs> um, and so he was kicking on the back. He was finishing his workout, 99 knees on the bag. 99 low kicks the last low kick he throws and it's the stance leg it's usually always the stance leg he throws the kick his hamstring spasms he falls on the ground can't get up now it's in, now it's very painful he says six out of ten um he was probably being conservative but he was he was scared to like even sit down on the floor he couldn't pick things up off the floor he was not he was unwilling to uh extend his knee fully even um so I was like okay here we go let's try this out so we did we started with dry needling um and he told me that the dry needling he could feel it do its job it that spas we got a nice spasming out of that throw some e-stim on it um and then we did some corrective exercises with the bfr as well because I was like if there's a little bit of anything going on the bfr can can help with either like you know the inhibition from the hamstrings or like any tear so then I told him the next day please call me and let me know how things feel and we'll make a we'll make a decision and he was like my leg feels brand new and he showed up ready to fight weighed in on and uh, his opponent pulled out so oh no <laughs> amazing story and had a sad ending but um I would like literally I would say like that's probably the most like PT, they call it PT magic. <laughs> the most magical moment I've ever done where I was like not confident that I could get him to fight in less than a week and he was like ready to go. That's amazing. That's not how I thought that was going to end. I thought I was picturing like going on to win a championship, but his. Yeah, he should have. He would have. His competitor pulled out. But yeah, yeah, that's that's incredible. And I mean, yeah, sometimes. Um, even if you've seen, like, I think most people who need a long enough have a, have a success story like that, almost whether we verbalize it or not in the back of our head, we're like, I'm not sure if this is going to help, or I'm not sure if there's anything I can do to help. Um, but it does. Yeah. Uh, And yeah, even, even on the timeline like that, I mean, in my head, I see more, uh, endurance athletes, NFL guys, and it's, they come to me and it's like Monday or Tuesday, Mm -hmm. I have a grade grade one hamstring strain. I mean, even though I'm going to needle them, my, my first explanation is, okay, here's the normal timeline of healing, meaning you're kind of setting them up for expecting to play in four days isn't necessarily realistic, no matter what we do here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think probably a similar mindset to, to your client is like, 
if it feels better, I'm going to play like no matter what you say about normal tissue healing and all that. Yeah, we uh, I had a conversation with him. I was like, look, <laughs> exactly healing times. Um, if you're going to kick, I was like, save those kicks for fight day and we'll deal with the aftermath after. But like, I was like, I don't care how good you feel. I don't want you kicking up until the fight. <laughs> I had this, like, you know, I, I made him a very detailed exercise plan, like, uh, you know, leading up to even fight day. But, but yeah, sometimes you have to have that conversation because no matter what you say, the athlete and the coach are just going to go. But um, he would have yeah. been. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, definitely a PT that you want in your corner. It's TK right here. Um, so that does wrap up our episode today. Again, trying to keep things short to the point. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, thank you, TK, for taking some time uh, to, to jump on with us. I know you have a busy schedule. Uh, we tried scheduling this a couple times and we finally uh, aligned schedules and got on together. So really appreciate your time. Like I said, if you want to follow her, obviously we said combat sports, her own training, but otherwise dry needling and kind of uh, concierge uh, cash pay, direct pay PT model. Like I said, she has a great Instagram and that is at TKO underscore DPT. Uh, it's another account that's valuable to follow if you're kind of in the rehab sports medicine realm. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll be back next week, same time, Wednesday. Thanks for joining.